You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. I think, you know, we should get across to the listeners why care about not just the eastern diamondback, but venomous snakes in general. Yeah, I mean... Because they're so critical. What can they teach us? Awesome. You watch the video and she's she's literally herding her little rattlesnakes to, like, not leave the den. Like, they kind of... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, I'm missing Florida today. Oh, I don't know, Chris. It was pretty steamy here. That's what I miss. I miss it's so cold. It's like it's zero. How about that? It was zero this morning Celsius. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> which is really not that bad when you uh, have spent many a winter in Chicago. Oh, I would In die. fact, zero degrees Celsius seems like a balmy day when you uh, are used to much worse than that. So Probably. You're a Michigan there. girl. I know. I know. Buy some polar fleece. Uh, invest yeah, in some I've hot got, cocoa. I literally have three shirts on right now. I have my thick socks on. I, I just, I'm a weather wuss. I'm sorry. I'm a weather wuss when it comes to Well, cold I'm glad weather. you said it because that's what I was thinking. I was just being Midwestern <laughs> Thanks. nice. Thanks. Thanks <laughs> a lot. Thanks a lot. I know. I know. I'll get used to it. Our, our northern, our northern listeners are like, what? I know, I know, our Canadians and everybody else. Well, we just have this big Antarctic blast coming through the country. So South Island. Well, maybe we need to cover some species from the Antarctic so you can learn how to adapt to cold weather the way that they have. I know, I know. I remember it just made me think of Dr. Kim Getz when she interviewed her and she sent me some of her pictures with her penguins down there. Like, you know, she's in this full getup, you know, with the, the coats and stuff, but. Yeah, that's what I look she's like got, walking outside. Yeah, she's got the good <laughs> gear. I will say, I I know you're cheap like me. You don't like to buy nice things. But investing in some expense, not, maybe not expensive, but some yeah. higher quality polar fleece, maybe North Face or right. something like that, it it does it does uh, really make a difference. Yeah, so. I've got some family coming in a couple of weeks. So I'll tell them because it's – yeah, it's, uh, I miss Florida sometimes. I really, really do. But, you know, I'll, I'll get used to it. Like you watch the Kiwis around here, shorts, t-shirt, barefoot, walking around like oh, hobbits. Yeah. It's, 
<laughs> my favorite is in the spring in Chicago when it gets to like 40 and everybody's out in shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> oh God, I would, die. I would die. I grew up in California. I was spoiled rotten, but anyways, yeah, I'm more like this species we're covering today. The Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnake that needs the sun. I, well, you know, though, this is, yes, yeah, definitely the Eastern, but there are species of rattlesnake where I grew up mm-hmm. in Michigan, uh, the Eastern Massasaga rattlesnake that does fine in the wintertime because they oh. learn how to, hi- they learn how to hibernate. So okay. you need to maybe look into some hibernating. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the podcast can go on hiatus. <laughs> well, sleepy. okay. Let's not get crazy. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> yeah. So but yes, I, no, today we're talking about the snake in my neck of the woods here in the right. south, southeastern United States, the eastern diamondback rattlesnake. Yeah, I know. I know. I, it was like, it made me think, and, and this podcast is going to be great. Please, please stay with us because snakes are so misunderstood and Angie are going to get into that. But I was sitting there thinking of researching all this stuff. How many rattlesnakes did I walk by in Florida? Cause you know, you go hiking all the time. You go kayaking, you go out in the woods, my backyard of my house, you know, was kind of backed up to a, to a park there in Florida. How many yeah, rattlesnakes? Did, mm-hmm. Yeah. How many rattlesnakes did I walk by? And never knew it. Never knew it. Never knew it. Well, that's because they have no interest in you. They're way more scared of you than you uh, are of them. They, I mean, you pretty much have to step on one or grab one for them to respond yeah. to you. Yeah. Even uh, that, they yeah. don't, they don't, they're not seeking you out. They don't want anything to do with you. They're hiding. They're staying mm-hmm. away from you. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, you might have, you might have walked past some. You might not have. Uh, a lot of populations are declining. That's true. That's true. Well, it's interesting you say that, Angie, because it's, you know, you want to stay tuned because one of the things I looked up was, okay, you know, a lot of people have fear of rattlesnakes. I would say most people have fear of rattlesnakes. Or snakes in general. But yeah, then, or snakes then in you, general. Then yeah. you throw in the um, the venomous part yeah. and it probably <laughs> takes right. it to a new level, I'm sure. Right. And so I was interested in how many people are, are bitten by snakes each year and then how many mm-hmm. people die each year to snake bite. So we're going to cover that at the very end. It, 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 it's, I've got a lot of good data, so you want to stay tuned for that. Yeah. And I think you'll be shocked by the number. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Now I, I will say I this week. Work. Yeah. This week we have a great interview with Dr. David Steen from the Georgia Sea Turtle Center, which is based in Jekyll Island, Georgia, just up, up the coast from Angie, a few hours, been there before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. And so he did a lot of snake research and he's doing a lot of work with sea turtles right now too. So we talk a little bit about that. He, he's kind of one, a big snake expert. He's got a blog, things we're going to talk about in the interview. So we were, we were lucky that Angie secured the interview with him. Oh yes. I, I've been stalking him on Facebook for a little while now. (laughs) (laughs) I felt really blessed when he was like, of course I would love to do an interview. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He's a, a, a very knowledgeable, um, scientist with mm-hmm. that also obviously promotes a lot of animal conservation and animal education and animal awareness for mm-hmm. reptiles. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of groups out there, of course, to talk about mammals and mm-hmm. uh, the bigger, the bigger ones that seem to get a lot of the attention. But I, I really fell in love with the fact that he's a reptile guy and he knows his stuff and he promotes, mm-hmm. you know, he promotes conservation and promotes 
science. You're yeah. a scientist. And so, yeah, I'm sure you'll talk about it or maybe link to his Facebook page on our show notes after Absolutely. the interview. But yeah, follow him. He's always, it's like a great education, the stuff that he posts, all the different, because he, of course, follows a lot of other reptile people. Mm-hmm. And so he's a great wealth of information for all of our yeah. reptile fans out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he does, a, you know, does a lot of research. That's he, right now he's talking about, you know, the sea turtles, and I guess this part time of year, they're in good old Florida with the warm weather, but all the turtles are coming up to the beaches now, laying eggs and things like that. So it, it's a great interview. The one paper I know you, you were going to talk about it, and I, and I saw this. It's funny before I I saw your notes about him, but his one paper that came out last year, interspecific combat observed among viperid snakes. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to talk to him about that, which we do. And oh, basically, cool. yes. yeah, yeah. The battle between two different types of snakes that they're, they're fighting. And he, and he talks a little bit about this paper he published. So, so stay tuned for that. It's, it, it, it's a great interview. We were very lucky to get him now. So Angie, we're talking about another snake in episode 13. We did the Burmese Python, mm-hmm. which. Yeah, which is endangered in Asia, but invasive in Florida, in your backyard. <laughs> oh, yes. Very Our backyard. Invasive yeah. In Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you set up in the panhandle, like, oh. Um, yeah, they're moving north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, we're moving away from the, the constrictors, right? Which is the python. Yes. The venomous yes. snake. Moving to a local southeastern United States, mm-hmm. local venomous snake. Um, and it's a pit viper. And, right. Yeah. And yeah, Chris, what I didn't realize before starting to research the Eastern Diamondback rattlesnake was that it's the, the heaviest, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. in the Americas. It has, and it's the largest rattlesnake. Uh, technically it's not the longest venomous snake, but in no. general, it's, it's the big bad boy of rattlesnakes in North America or in yeah. the Americas in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They think, I mean, it's, it goes back and forth, but the, the lo- the longest snake is the King Cobra. Okay. Can get up to 18 feet or five, almost over five meters. Like that's huge. That's, that's silly. <laughs> I can't even, I, can't. I don't even, I don't even, yeah. I can't wait till we cover them. I'm obviously we're going to cover them at, at some point. And 18 feet, Angie. I was like, I didn't know key covers got that big. That's I didn't huge. either. I think yeah. that must be like a, that's like the, the rare, that's, that's like the rarity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I think the average we, is like 13, 14 feet, but still that's huge. And with the Eastern Diamondback rattlesnake, there's reports of eight feet or two, two and a half meters. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes if they're kept um, under human care, they can be smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was one specimen in 1946 that measured over eight feet, but it weighed 35 pounds. It was the heaviest. Okay. So it's the That'll heaviest. The yeah. They, it was the heaviest venomous snake ever found. Right. So that's why they think it, it can be some of the heaviest. The Gaboon Viper is heavier on average. So that's almost 19 pounds, eight and a half kilograms, mm-hmm. where the average on the Eastern Diamondback is about 10 pounds or five kilograms. Their average length is about three and a half to five and a half feet. So yes, they can get really big, but on average, they're not that big, you know, compared right. to, you know, a King Cobra, which is mm-hmm. 13 to 18 feet, but they don't weigh as much. So anyways, yeah. And they call it. They're called the stout-bodied viper, right? Because they are so big and they're just fat and stout. You know, they are they are uh, chunky. Um, at my husband's zoo, they have one that's uh, not as big as we're talking about. But we were just commenting, me and Xander, the other day that 
He was a little chunky. <laughs> they they feed many, him well. Too yeah. many mice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but they're a gorgeous snake. They're strikingly beautiful. Um, their color pattern consists of like a brown, brownish yellow, brown gray. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be olive to a dark green, mm-hmm. but it's overlaid with a series of 24 to 35, like brown to black diamonds, hence right. their name. Right. And, and then the diamonds have, uh, blotches outlined with a row of cream. Mm-hmm. Or yellowish scales. So we'll put some pictures on the show notes, yeah. but they're just, uh, I mean, they're that plus the rattle. They're a very iconic and gorgeous, gorgeous it's, snake. You know, it's just, I, and, and I know we always say the herpers out there, the people that love the reptiles, you know, a shout out to Derek. If he's listening, you know, he was there at the Santa Fe zoo. He's a big, big one that I used to always see out doing science education for schools and stuff. They are beautiful. Like those colorations, the patterns, I just never really paid attention to it, but they are gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They're just beautiful animals. Yeah. And yeah, Chris, like I mentioned before, they're definitely found in the southeastern United States, Mm -hmm. but anywhere from like North Carolina, of course, into Florida, the Florida Keys, Mm -hmm. along the Gulf Coast, uh, into southern Alabama, Mississippi, and southeastern Louisiana. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they do, uh, where we live in Gainesville, uh, where you live, used to live, and now I currently live, mm-hmm. it's very, for, it's, there's forests, like a the pine woods, forest, yeah. and yeah, in the woods, and they, they do, they love scrublands, coastal forest, pine, flatwoods, mm-hmm. uh, and they do, they, they do like moist areas, such as wet prairies, um, but they, they do pretty well in general. Yeah. Um, like in, even like in abandoned farms or overgrown uh-huh. fields. So, and here yeah, locally too, they like to, they like to use the burrows made by the golfers and golfer tortoises in mm-hmm. the summer and in the late winter. So yeah, they're like me. Like we were just opening with, uh, how cold it is. They like the coastal southeastern United States where it's nice and warm and sunny most of the year. <laughs> then then <laughs> yes. they go hide their little heads when it's cold. Yes. When it, when it gets yeah. down to like maybe, maybe mid thirties Fahrenheit uh-huh. here. <laughs> yeah. That's still cold. That's maybe. still cold to me. It's just still cold to me. I feel like I've only seen frost on a few occasions, very few occasions. Well, uh, Florida does get cold. Like it dropped into the teens a few times. I thought I was going to die, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's, I, uh, I need to just live in Hawaii. I mean, it's you know, perfect. weather. Now you're talking, you yeah. know, in Hawaii, it's such perfect weather. They don't have heat or air conditioning. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, they're like, we're, we're so awesome that we don't need to, ha- we don't need to have either of those. I didn't grow up with air conditioning. Are you kidding me? I mean, internal California gets hot. It's a desert, but I lived on the coast. Like it didn't, it was never. 80s was hot. Did, that was a heat wave. Did you have heat or air conditioning though? I think we had heat, but we rarely used it. It's just okay. Like, and air conditioning you didn't need? No, no. I didn't, I didn't discover air conditioning until I moved to like Alabama. Okay. Cause you Army. were in, yeah. Sa- were you in San Diego? Yeah. Area? So. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty perfect. That's, that's yeah. about almost yeah. as perfect as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Like I said, like that one time I, in high school, it was 38 and I thought I was going to die. Yeah, it's just too expensive. That's well, Hawaii is expensive to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, it's these snakes don't need it. So I think the big thing, Angie, with this episode today is, you know, we have these fears of snakes and sharks and popular culture. So it's, I think it's unfounded, and 
you know, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Like the first time I saw a rattlesnake, I about freaked out too, because it was like, oh my God, if I touch that thing, I could die. That's what went through my head. In the wild? Which is true. It under- yeah, it was in the wild. Okay. Yeah, it was when I was, I was, I think I, I don't know if in the end of another episode, I was talking about when I observed wild horses and I, I was driving around with my truck and we were doing a census and there was a big snake just sitting there on the road and we kind of just crept by it and I look right out my window and it's right there and I'm like, oh my God, you know, which is, you know, I, I should have just been like, holy smokes, I see a rattlesnake. How awesome is that? Yeah, Instead, I'm like super like, jealous. Fear. I would like look for yeah. them in Michigan and couldn't find them because their numbers, yeah. unfortunately, are, are so plummeted. But I think, you know, we should get across to the listeners why care about not just the Eastern Diamondback, but venomous snakes in general. Yeah, I mean. Because they're so critical. Well, historically, snakes have been an important part of human culture for, I mean, thousands of years. Got the Bible on, right? Oh, the, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, and I found this an interesting tidbit, uh, for somewhere for a cocktail party, but the timber rattlesnake was actually considered for the United States national animal. Huh. Obviously it didn't win. The eagle won. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, so yeah. I think that's beside, yeah, yes, there's just, I think a huge history going back for, uh, respect, fear, um, love, hate, if you will. I don't like the H word, but all of it intertwined, um, you know, for thousands of years. So there's, there's that, but fast forwarding to present day time, I think one of the really important roles they play is that they eat rodents, right? So they help control those populations. And we all know that rodents can often carry diseases and Mm -hmm. we don't want rodents in our houses, things like this. So um, those are just, that's to me a very kind of simple reason. Like I feel like people that don't like snakes probably also don't like rodents. (laughs) Like they have general general fears and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I understand. And I do respect that people probably wouldn't want a, a venomous snake on their property. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. I think I know in my neighborhood, um, there's been a couple coral snakes around and uh yes they're venomous but they're they're about as shy and small as you get so but i know isn't it is it oh go ahead to say isn't it true that with the coral snake you have to like let them gnaw on you to really get their venom me i don't know if it's quite that much but yeah i mean you pretty much have to pick them up and like bother them but long story short in my neighborhood what i consider to be like you know nice neighborhood educated people yeah I know that they kill them when they find them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and that, that really frustrates me because there's a lot of good groups out there and I'll, we'll, we'll get to them in the podcast. Mm-hmm. But of course, in any local area that you live in, there's probably other ones, but they'll come safely remove a snake that's uh, venomous or any, I mean, any kind of snake, obviously, yeah. or pest if you want to. So there's tons of other options out there. Uh, mm-hmm. and especially if it's not a venomous snake, if it's just a little garter oh. snake or something, snake, yeah, yeah, they, they're eating king, rodents. Yeah, they snake, are, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're doing their job and you know, they don't want even, even the rattlesnake, they trust me, they are way more scared of you than you are of them. But yeah, so that's, yeah. you know, so they eat rodents. But another thing too, is that we're talking today about venomous vipers, rattlesnakes, mm-hmm. the venom 
from several species, such as the dusky pygmy rattlesnake, have been used for research and developing medications. Mm-hmm. For instance, Captopril is a blood pressure med- uh, medication. It's like an ACE inhibitor. It came from the South American pit viper. So, and then there's another one called Integrillin, which is a blood thinner. It can be used during heart attacks and open heart surgery to help save people's life. Once again, that came from the dusky pygmy rattlesnake venom. Mm-hmm. And I just read too that um, more recently, uh, the University of Southern California, your old stomping grounds, yeah, yeah. has uh, has been researching southern copperhead venom to uh, treat breast cancer cells. Oh wow! Okay. So, huh. and we're we'll get into the um we'll touch on the venom and how it works and what it does and uh, the potency and all these things in a little bit in the podcast. But the main point is venom is still really understudied, and mm-hmm. I think that. If we kill off all these venomous species because we're scared of them, we don't like them, we're probably doing ourselves medically a disservice as we learn yeah, as we yeah. learn more about about the potency and how how they could be used to help treat human diseases. And my last point for why to care about snakes, uh, Chris will put them some on the show notes, but they're really good moms, and I'm going to talk about that later in the po- yep. later on during the behavior. There's if you don't like snakes and you don't like rattlesnakes, I, or a friend doesn't, I encourage you to watch these, this video that I'll, I'll, we'll put on the show notes about a rattlesnake mama protecting its rattlesnake babies. Yeah, which is crazy. It's just crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, to it's, think it's, about. And this is, we're just starting, we're at the very tip of starting to understand how social and intelligent they are. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I don't necessarily, I mean, I would actually at this point be totally fine if somebody compared me to a rattlesnake mom. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah, be like, yeah, I'm doing yeah. a good job. Not to mention yeah, they really only yeah. have their young for like three weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Trust me. But, but yeah, no, and yeah, I'll get, yeah. I'll get more into that and later. But yeah, just they when you really start to learn about their behavior and you can, I think, appreciate more that just because they're a venomous animal, doesn't mean they're evil. No, 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 they're not. They're not. They're not. It's just they're, you know, it's just, it's the culture and, you know, like sharks, I think they're breaking the shark culture with like shark week and things like that. I think we need snake week. You know, I think. Chris, that's like the most genius idea you've ever had. And I've known you for a long time. (laughs) You've had some really good ideas, including this podcast. Okay. Maybe it's the second most genius idea (laughs) because. The first would be the podcast. No, 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 no. No, the first, the first will be accepting you into my lab, that's right? True, that's like true. That's true. Yes. 10 yes, years yes, ago. Yes, yes. Well, you didn't really have a choice in that. I think I was like emailing you every day, like, can I have a job now? Can I get in the oh, lab God, now? This girl so, will not leave me alone. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but yeah, no, no, I like yeah. the idea of snake week. We need to make that happen. We yeah. need to make that happen, man. All right. All right. We'll talk to David and some other people that we know. Yeah. And see if we can promote it because it, it really is. They're so critical to the ecosystem. I mean, if, if people get anything out of this podcast, each species we cover has such an important critical niche. Oh yeah. And snakes are, you know, like any, we, we talked about poison dart frogs, which is an episode we don't talk a lot about because it was so long ago, but. Oh, it was one of my favorites I mean, this day. It makes me I laugh. Oh, I love them. <laughs> I love poison dart frogs, but they're so critical to the ecosystem. Yes. And 
you know, we're taking these big chunks out and it's just, it, it's just not healthy. It's not healthy for the environment. And so I think we just need to break a lot of these myths. Well, and I think a lot of species have that we talk about in the podcast, including the rattlesnake, have an upward battle because of habitat fragmentation and basically reduction of ha- loss of habitat because mm-hmm. of developing. Yeah. I mean, Florida is just booming in certain areas. So they already mm-hmm. have an up and then climate change. Okay. So they already have this crazy right. uphill battle with all this stuff. So when you add stigmas on like, oh my gosh, if I see one, I want to kill it or whatever. Right. It, it, it's, it's just really not helping them at all. No, 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 no. It's, it's, yeah, it's really sad, actually. The, one of the things I, I really did in preparation for this pod today was I really went down this rabbit hole of all the different species of snakes. And, you know, cool. Cause I did. I know, but it was, <laughs> it was, this is where my homework but, came in. Yeah. It's like, good, you know, good, good. I, I was, I, there were so many of them. I kind of got a little overwhelmed. Oh, it is. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally as overwhelming. <laughs> Now, snakes, the suborder is, is serpentines. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's over 3,600 species of snakes. He, it, one of the articles he covered was the five new snail eating snakes discovered in Ecuador. So they're still finding nice. snakes all over the place. And it's, you know, they're, they're again, a critical part of the environment. Now they're within snakes. There's 20 recognized families, but then you get, there's 520 genera. Or genus, separate genus. So it's getting, yeah. Then you have all the species. So it's it's very. That's that's kind of where I was like, mm, I'm just gonna go look at videos of mom rattlesnakes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so I'm gonna start in the 520. Number one is no. Um. So what I did is I, I went and looked. Okay. So with that many, it, it obviously too too much to cover in, in this podcast. But I did cover and look at the families and I started kind of getting into this. So within the families, there, there's some really small ones like wart snakes in Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia. I mean, there's three species, but that's its own family. So sure, not a big they're one. They're so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The boas, there's 61 species within the, the family of boa day. Those are my faves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, then you have the alapids. Okay. So there's 359. So sea snakes, and this is like the king cobra or the cobras. Okay. Okay. So that's a big mm-hmm. one. Now the vipers, there's 341 different species. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. I didn't know it was that high. Yeah. There's a lot. So the Americas, Africa, and Eurasia. Now this one I thought was kind of funny. The colubridae is just your typical snake and it's your, it's your catch all so it's like the catch-all category, which is there's 1,866 species. So if it doesn't fit in these, love science. I know. I don't blame them. They got they got tired. They were like, hmm. There's too okay. many of these. So, so there's the catch-all category, and it has half of them are in there. So like your corn snake uh, falls into this category. Oh, I used to work with corn snakes. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously these are snakes all over the world, except Antarctica, some islands, Ireland, and Angie. Um, I feel like the way you're looking at me, the answer is New Zealand. Yeah, we don't have snakes here. <laughs> no snakes. No snakes in New Zealand. So my poor son, he's really upset because he wants to. Because clearly, it's too cold for them, right? It's so yeah, it's way too cold. <laughs> <laughs> we have penguins. I, we literally have penguins on the coast. So, uh, yeah, the. Viper Day family. 
So this is a, the family of venomous snakes. We're getting and, closer, team. Hold on. Yeah, yep, we're yeah, getting there. Yeah. So the Viper Day, they, they, what's unique about them compared to the other families is they have hollow fangs, or they call them solenoglyphus. So I hope I'm saying that right. Sounds and, good to me. Yeah, solenoglyphus. They, this is pipe grooved fangs and they're, they're just really advanced venom delivery system. And it's really cool. So the way this works is the, the fangs can be about half the length of their head, right? So they're big. They're big fangs, right? Yeah. I think aren't they some of the bigger fangs yes. per I think viper basically? Yeah. 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 Per they're head, huge. Yeah. They're okay. huge. Now the way it's like this whole spring system. So when their mouths are closed, it, you know, obviously the ligaments and things in the mouth relax and the muscles relax. So those fangs are folded up, up against the mm-hmm. roof of the mouth. Mm-hmm. When their jaws open, it's almost like a spring and they, they spring into biting position and then that allows them to bite their prey. So it's, it's this whole like spring loaded mechanism. It's all physiology. It's all, mm-hmm. you know, muscles and, and tendons and ligaments and things like that. Now, what was interesting is, is their venom's usually less toxic compared to some of the others. So when they bite the, the venom delivery system, the venom glands are located behind the eyes in the upper part of their jaw, and it just travels down this hollow point, uh, fang into their prey. Now, what's interesting too, it is when they, if sometimes with the vipers, when they bite humans, they don't always deliver venom. Sometimes they have a dry bite. So it's more of a warning that they don't okay. want to inject venom in there because obviously it's it's a resource for them. And sure. Well, they and that's the thing is they know we're not a prey animal for them. They so yeah. That's why they're not ever seeking us out. No, no. So they, you know, it's it's a warning really. Now their venom is less toxic compared to some others, and and I'm going to get here in a second which ones are are some of the most toxic snakes in the world. But in viper venom, it has proteases. So there's 15 enzymes, which mm-hmm. break down proteins, right? And then there's things like metal ions, amines, lipids, amino acids, polypeptides. So it's just like a nasty cocktail. It's definitely a nasty cocktail. And not only is it nasty, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. So if you think of like a bartender having to make a drink, mm-hmm. and not only would this be nasty, but this would probably take up 20 or 15 different bottles, right? Or yeah. because there's just so many different types of toxins in it. And it's just for layman's turn, venom is typically categorized into neurotoxins that affect the brain and then cytotoxins. So most snakes don't usually have one or the other. They, like I said, they have this, this cocktail, like Chris said, and it's complicated. And of course the Eastern diamond diamondback is no exceptions. And this, the neurotoxin part of the venom is going to interfere with your normal functions of your nerves. And the clinical symptoms can be like paralysis and respiratory distress where a cytotoxin is going to destroy and or otherwise impacts your cells. So cyto cells. And for the Eastern diamondback, the cyto, the, I got it. And for the Eastern Diamondback, the cyto, the venom is primarily cytotoxin. And so it typically will cause severe tissue damage and maybe impact your neuromuscular junctions, um, 
and it might, and there's some mycotoxins in there too that cause muscle wasting. Yeah. What I was reading is for us, it's not necessarily deadly, but it's just incredibly painful. So right, right. You know. No, no. I mean, de- yeah, definitely for an adult. And yeah. there's um, one one gentleman described it as an intense pain, like two hot hypodermic needles, um, spontaneous bleeding from the bite site, intense internal pain, bleeding from the mouth, hypotension, weak pulse, mm-hmm. swelling, discoloration of the affected limb, and se- severe pain. Right. And sometimes even hem- hemorrhaging. Yeah. Uh, but it should be noted, especially in, in the southeastern United States, uh, we there is an anti-venom. No, you say that, it, it, again, we'll get to the stats, but it, it's, you know, from what I read, especially in, in developed countries, you know, United States, other places, they, they have a lot of that anti-venom or the medication to counteract a lot of this. So, Correct. you know, that's why, you know, obviously very survivable. Now, Angie. Do not try sucking the venom out of the wounds. Okay. No, that's like the worst. <laughs> you get anything out of this podcast. Obviously, <laughs> number one, conservation message. Yeah. Uh, don't kill snakes. But number two, yeah, just just seek medical help instantly. Okay. Well, yeah, and, and you're supposed to like put a tourniquet on if it's a limb or something to slow down sure. the yeah the pumping of the blood. But you know you have to know what you're doing. You don't want to yeah don't bite or cut the well, yeah the, the, <laughs> that stuff. Now the venomous you know what snakes. Chris yeah, yeah. we have a rule at my horse farm. Yeah. Another thing you can get from take home message from this podcast because I. It's very rural where I uh, work at this horse farm and I, my little boys go out there a lot. Xander and Zachary, they're four and almost two. They're very, very busy. And the rule at our farm is you don't put your hands anywhere without looking with your eyes first. Yeah, that's true. And if you can't see whatever it is you're grabbing, then you either maybe use your feet or a stick or obviously you come get me. So you gotta, yeah. you don't just grab stuff. You always look and listen. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good, that's good. You know, it's, uh, little tips on, you know, how to prevent human wildlife conflicts. Exactly. Now, the, I looked up, you know, okay, I was curious because they're saying the vipers don't really have the most toxic venom. And I was like, okay, who does? And I know of some snakes that are, that are pretty toxic, but this one, the inland taipan is the deadliest snake on earth. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know where that's from? Indonesia. <laughs> no, you would think. That's what I thought. Taipan, right? Yeah. Australia. Oh. <laughs> it's yeah. It's where... Everything in Australia will kill you. <laughs> well, you better tell Ashley to be safe. Isn't she there right now? Yeah. She's coming back in, the, yeah, in a couple of days. So, yeah, you have, you know, not only will the wildlife kill you in Australia. Yeah, they've got some rough stuff in Australia. (laughs) But they're all, like, awesome, like, outback cowboys. So they are. They have to be. I I love the Aussies. Just, you know, being a Kiwi now or adapting the Kiwi lifestyle, I got to poke fun at them. But, yeah, the inland Taipan, it's the most, it has the deadliest venom on Earth. Now, a lot of these other ones are sea snakes, which I knew sea snakes are pretty deadly. Then you get down to the coastal taipan, which is another, you know, terrestrial, not a sea snake. The, the crates. So in Southeast Asia, there you go. 
And then more Australia. I mean, I look at this list, the top 10 list. It's like half of Australia, <laughs> the brown snake, <laughs> the black tiger snake, the mainland tiger snake, the Western Australia tiger snake, the deadliest venom on earth. So yeah, just be careful when you're, when you're in the outback. But again, you know, these snakes are, are, are going to avoid you as well, and I th- much as I can. think these snakes too, in general, live in places where if you are in that area, if you find yourself in the outback, you're probably going to be with a guide and you're probably going to huh. be extra careful to begin with because you're in the outback. So yeah, I yeah. think that's some of it too is, um, you know, he- here in Florida, it's a little tough because for me walking through the woods growing up in Michigan, mm-hmm. I knew there was a possibility for um, rattlesnakes, but, there had been by then the population was so declining because of people right. uh, that it was never a concern. And so I do have to change my thinking a little bit here in Florida, where we obviously have a couple or well, more than a couple, a good yeah. amount of venomous snakes. And actually, how many do we have? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. a few dozen. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I would say okay. 10, maybe if I yeah, had to least. take an yeah, educated guess. But anyways, mouth, copperhead. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have to, yeah, I have to, you know, change my thinking a little bit, but Mm -hmm. if anything, it's just being more respectful for nature and being more conscientious and yeah, I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in Northern California with my dad in the summers, you know, he was a high school teacher and in the summers we'd go camping quite a bit and, you know, I just never ran across any of them, but I knew they were up there. I mean, there's tons of rattlesnakes in the mountains in in California because it was so remote. Um, so they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And you, you've like, even Dr. Steen told me the other, you know, when I interviewed him, you probably have walked by so many venomous snakes that you just would be amazed because you can't see them. I love it. Yeah. Man, I would love to know my number. Probably not too many when I lived in Chicago. My, my average, (laughs) my annual average probably went down. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) I walked back. I, I walked past some other things that were probably. Scarier. Way, way scarier or more, yeah. way more. I don't think, I don't like to use the word scary with snakes, but way more dangerous than uh, yes. snakes that I, that yes. I didn't even know. So, yeah. But I always, yeah. I always had my husky dog with me late at night. So he was, yeah. he was yeah. my little guardian angel. Yeah. So the vipers, you have adders and then the pit vipers are rattlesnakes, cotton mouth, gaboon viper, green vipers, and horned vipers. So rattlesnakes are under that family mm-hmm. and these are these are stocky snakes with short tails they have that distinct triangular head which is one way people can identify venomous snakes but i did read some non-venomous snakes have evolved to have kind of triangular heads oh to, smart yeah yeah to, yep yep now they have keeled scales and i was like okay what's a keeled scale which is interesting and what that means is it's not smooth, but there's a ridge down them. So when, when you touch them, it's rough, right? So when you think of a constrictor snake, if you've ever held one, I know oh, you I have. have. Oh, they're wow, very yes. smooth, right? Very they're, smooth. They're, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not slimy. Okay. That's, that's no. a myth. No snakes are slimy. Constrictors no. are very smooth. Yeah. And these are, I have, ne- yeah. I have never touched a rattlesnake. So, or a, a viper. So you're telling yeah, me I don't it's, know. it's, it's rough. Yeah, it's rough. So like shark skin too. I know, you know, touching shark skin, it's, you yeah, maybe go it's one not way, rough. It's, it's probably just not as smooth. On the well, snakes? I just, uh, yeah, I just read that it makes their skin appear dull and not shiny. No, no, it's, 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 they have keeled scales. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. I guess that's what keeled means. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> I Googled it. I Googled this he one. He Googled it, folks. Yay. <laughs> okay. Um, so then all these snakes have coloring patterns for camouflage, things like that. All right. So getting into the rattlesnakes, Angie. So, so we, we started with 3,600 species, you know, all the 20 families, the 520 genera. Now we're down to rattlesnakes and they're part of the. There's a fair amount. Yes, a lot. 36 known species up to 70 subspecies. That's when so. I started just watching the mom and baby <laughs> rattlesnake videos. <laughs> I was like, a lot. I am going to totally depend on my partner, Chris, to just do this part yeah, because there's the so, I did not realize there were that many. I didn't know there was that many. I honestly did not. I would have never oh, I, guessed. Chris, I, I had no idea. I was overwhelmed. I, I'm like, this is now I did, I did jump into, to read through them all. And, and there was many that I hadn't even heard of, which yeah. clearly my well, I'll get to the list. I'll get to the list. Yeah, I got my, a list my right background's here. more in hoof and horns. So yeah. it's, it's not surprising, but in the same instance, I was, I was impressed. So yeah, get to that list. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Okay. So these snakes, rattlesnakes are in the Americas. So they range from Canada to Argentina. So they, Argentina has a couple uh, species down there. So, now, yep, they can do well in cold weather as well. Yeah. Now, the majority of these species are in the American Southwest of Mexico, which I thought was cool. So, it is cool. Yeah. yeah. My old stomping grounds. Your old stomping grounds, yes. Mexico. I gotta love Mexico. So the, Viva la Mexico. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The World Cup was, yeah, we're recording this during the World Cup of 2018. And Mexico, Germany totally uh, croaked and Mexico's in there. So I'm excited for them. I just so, say go Colombia. Yeah. Hey, Anna. Hey, mm-hmm. Anna. <laughs> and my friend, my other Angie uh, back there at home, she's a big fan of Colombia. I, I love England. That's, that's my team. But, uh, cause the U.S. never makes it. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> someday. Yeah. Someday. So the Eastern Diamondback is Crotalus adamantus. And I'm sure I butchered that a little bit, but here is some of the list of the species. There's so many. It's uh, the Mexican ground pit viper, the Yucatan ground pit viper, the copperhead. Okay. So you have the Southern, the broadband, the Northern, the Osagi copperheads, bunch of them, cottonmouth, Florida cottonmouth, Western cottonmouth, Eastern cottonmouth, the Mexican jumping pit viper. I want to see this one. There's a few jumping pit vipers. Yeah, that one's that one I don't want to bump into, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The palm pit viper, the forest pit viper, the lance head, the toad headed pit viper. I, I mean, just had Asian. no idea there were so many. I love. Oh, it. a bunch of these lance heads in Brazil and uh, Martinique and some of the islands around there. You've got, oh my God, more, you know, now we're getting to the, the, you said the dusky rattlesnakes, the diamondback rattlesnakes, the desert sidewinders. The list is just going on. Look at this list. I mean, and I'll obviously link the list in the show notes, but there are, you know, the Southwestern speckled rattlesnake, the Mexican black-tailed rattlesnake, Arizona black rattlesnake. I'll be talking about that one later in behavior. Yeah. So then you get into more pit vipers. This list just keeps going. Pygmy rattlesnakes, more vipers. So it's an exhaustive list. You get the idea, right? That, that's the idea. There's a ton of them. I... <laughs> Sorry. 
I just looked up after looking at that list, and Angie's got a snot rag in her nose. <laughs> I'm gonna take a picture I'm, for the I, I have a head cold from all the traveling, and I'm trying to not sound too congested. And it was a it was a very long list, so I thought it was time. It would be an appropriate <laughs> at least time. You were to sleep. At least you were asleep. I was I was uh, I was listening intently, trying to make sure that boogers weren't running down my nose. <laughs> God, this is so fun sometimes. All right, evol- we're running out of time. We've already talked uh, forever. All right, evolution in, in, in 10 seconds or less. We covered this in Burmese Python. They evolved from lizards about 175 million years ago. The uh, the Eophis, Eophis under Woody, small snake in southern England, is one of the first ones they found, you know, again, 170 million years ago. First venomous snake was in Africa, the Olipids. So your sea snakes, cobras, found about 25 million years ago. Long time. Yeah, yeah. Now, we already talked about the largest snake, Titanoboa. You know, go listen to our that episode. Yeah, the that's a lar- fun. That's a fun segment. Oh, it was a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. The largest venomous snake was in Greece four million years ago. Leophis crotaloides <laughs> was about 13 feet long. Oh, so not quite as okay. big as a cobra, but weighed 57 pounds. Yikes. 26 kilograms. Yeah. It was huge, huge. Yeah, that's like golden retriever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, anyways, that gives you an overview. You know, we we've talked. I think so far we talked about you know why we want to conserve these. You know where they fit in, but some of the life cycle stuff. They they can live up to twenty years in captivity, but that's not in the wild. It's probably half that. Just sure. Because they, you know, humans. Oh Humans yeah. have had such a huge impact on them. Now, I did find this. I couldn't find what a male snake was called or a female snake. What is a group of rattlesnakes called? This one's great. Oh, wow. I love this. I love this part, but I didn't study it. So yeah, a consortium. No, that's no, no. What's that thing that you have going around your house? That little vacuum. What's that called? A Roomba. That, yeah. It's a Roomba. Really? A Roomba. Yeah. It's that's a Roomba. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get to their social stuff here in a minute. Um, you know, when Angie gets to the behavior. So males are bigger. Their tails are thicker than the females. They're, they're usually active more in the morning and the evening. Remember, these are ectothermic. I think we talked about that in the other snake one. So they're not mm-hmm. cold blooded, but they're ectothermic and they just need outside heat sources to stay warm. Right. Yes. And so. My- and like you mentioned it, um, my word of the day for listeners out there, which my four-year-old knows, he loves it. The diamondback is crepuscular, yeah. which is a fancy word. So just, it's a fun word to know. Yeah. And it just means active in the evenings and early mornings, like Chris said. But yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to give it a shout out for the word of the day because it's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. That's a big one. Now they travel two to three miles per hour. It's not very fast. No. You know, four or five kilometers per hour. You know, in short bursts, so you can easily outrun them. I mean, they're not going to chase you down. No, the, gosh, no. Yeah. Now, they're the pit vipers, why are they called pit, you know, not just the viper day, but pits? It's because they have pits, these L'Oreal pits on the side of their head between their eye and nostrils, and it's an infrared sensing device. Mm-hmm. So they can detect heat sources, you know, like say a mouse versus the, the background leaf litter or whatever when they're when they're hunting. So they do really well in low light. That's why, you know, early evening or evenings and mornings is when they can really see. I mean, obviously they have good eyesight, but then also their other sensing organ is the, the forked tongue, 
which again, we covered in the Burmese Python, you know, how they use that chemical sense. That's what they, they're, they're sensing smell with their forked tongue. Mm-hmm. So actually, I, one of the things I read about them was they, they call it the most evolutionary advanced snakes on the planet. These ah, pit vipers. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I think that's a great way to, to talk about them because. Now, I did want to get into a little bit on the rattle. Yes. Okay. I actually, yeah. I learned a lot about the rattle. Yeah. So I, I, you know, obviously it's a warning and warn, especially to predators and they're hollow, just hollow segments made up of keratin. Keratin, common theme. Yes. Yes. Rhino horn, pangolin scales. It's fingernails, hair. It's don't use this for medicine. There's nothing in there. Jeez. And, you know, looking at some of the physiology, they, they have these shaker muscles, right? That work together to vibrate the tail. That can fire 50 times per second. Holy shnikes. Yeah. Those that's muscles are awesome. firing so fast. Wow. And because yeah. it's hollow, that's where the, it makes it so loud. And I didn't know this, but every time they shed their skin, they add a new rattle. Right. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm, when babies are born, they have like little buttons. And then mm-hmm. as they grow, they shed their skin. Each time they shed, they create another segment of the rattle. Right. And then that goes on through their adult life. And, right. but I don't necessarily think it's a thing that you can tell an age of a snake. Mm. And this is maybe a snake expert could to, no, it's to true. clarify it's true. this. Yeah. Because yeah. the rattles break off, right? Sometimes. They do. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like, yeah, you know, it's not like it's rings on be, a tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or yeah. it's, or so therefore it's shed this many times in its life. Yeah. So it, you're absolutely right. C- totally correct. They, you don't necessarily can use that to age an animal because they do break off. But I would imagine if you saw a pretty long rattle, that's an older snake, right? Plus sure. they're probably huge. Mm-hmm. In <laughs> so. size. And, and I guess I don't know, um, with, with rattlesnakes in general, how frequently they shed their skin when they're adults. Of course. Good. No, it's, Angie, you're just like so perfect today. You're just like, you didn't even, I didn't even need to, to ask you to say that. That was my next oh, really? thing I was going to bring oh. up. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to know why they shed their skin. Now, I will tell you, Angie, you know this, you're shedding skin right now. It's, yes. It's, we don't want to think about it, but all <laughs> animals shed their skin. I mean, dust is mainly dead skin cells. And, so. and in my house, it's mostly like dog and cat yes. skin Standard. cells. Let's be real. Let's be real. So we don't want to think about it, but it's that is physiology. That is nature. So we're shedding our skin 24-7. Reptiles are different. They can't really shed it all the time, so they shed it all at once. And... With snakes, it's called ecdysis. Nice. I did not and, know that and, word. Yeah. So what happens is, is they grow within that skin and it does stretch to a point. But then when it hits that point where it can't stretch anymore, that's when they will shed it. So a new layer grows. It, then they kind of get a hole in the tail and the head and then they kind of slither out of it through the headpiece. And it, whenever it's removed, it's like actually inside out. Whatever mm-hmm. you see shed snake skin. Also, they do this. It helps remove parasites. So that's one of the benefits of doing this. And they do it about two to four times per year. Now, it's going to depend on diet and mm-hmm. environment, things like that. So I imagine those northern snakes, when it's colder, they're not eating as much, stuff like that. Sure. They're not going to shed it as often as, say, the eastern diamondback where it's warmer most of the year. And they get 
pretty good diet of mice and other things. Yes. So, yeah. So there you go. No, yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to uh, take care of non-venomous snakes mm-hmm. um, during my tenure at the zoo and yeah, corn snakes, ball pythons, mm-hmm. rainbow boas. And yeah, it was always a very exciting time for me when they would, when they would shed, they do go a little dormant, not as interested in food. You don't want right. to handle yeah. them for our ju- education animals. And so it was, yeah, it was mm-hmm. a really an, a learning process for me is how to care for them. Cause that's another, another message to the, I know Chris and I, I, pr- I promoted a lot, especially in the Burmese Python podcast, but reptiles, uh, keeping reptiles as pets or even, mm-hmm. even oh, in a tough, zoo setting yeah. under human care is yes. Even though they don't eat all the time, you know, once a week, twice a week, I'm sorry, once a week, once a month, twice a month, whatever it is, they still require a lot of care as far right. as the temperature, the humidity, the, uh, the moisture, all. And then if they're, you know, when they're shedding, they have, you have to provide stuff for them to help them shed their skin. Like right. in, in nature, they would probably brush up against a rock Rocks or a tree or trees. something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So yeah, there's a lot that's not, um, it's not for the faint hearted. And so I typically don't recommend them as pets unless you're going to go obviously all the way. All, yeah, all, all in and, and do your, you know, do your education yeah. because clearly that's how, you know, sometimes invasive species end up where they shouldn't when people just let pets well, go. Well, and they live, like I said, they live 20 years. So yeah, it's, it's that's serious. a 15 to 20 year commitment, which, you know, if you go from, think about yourself 20 years ago, you know, you're a baby. So think about it. <laughs> you know, when I was, but you know, like well, getting out of college yeah. and how life changes in 20 years. You know, no, there's a lot of exactly. Things that well, my, you know, my best instance is, uh, my horse Rosie, who yes. is turned, just, still... tur- just turned 32 <laughs> yes. and I've owned her for like 25 years. And so if you would have told me when I was a teenager yeah. that I would still be like taking, taking care, care and paying horse. money, like real money, yeah. um, yeah. that I clearly don't have from this podcast. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, I'm all in. So for me, it's, it's a lifelong commitment, but. Thank goodness I'm all in. I mean, because a lot of people aren't. And so that's, that's the thing. And there's websites out there that can help you if you have any pet, whether it's a dog or a Mm -hmm. gerbil or especially a reptile that can help you decide if that is the best pet for you. Um, But the shedding phenomenon is, is just, it's really cool. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's just a thing reptiles do. The, these snakes, the Eastern diamondbacks, there's a lot of things besides humans that will hunt them. Coyotes, eagles, hawks, owls, pigs. Remember we talked about pigs being resistant to venom, raccoons, sure. skunks, possums, other snakes. So like the king snake, mm-hmm. you know, that that's, that's the one that goes out there. But what they eat is they're amb- ambush predators or they'll go search out burrows like you were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, but eat mice, rats, small birds, other small mammals or animals. Uh, usually yeah, the prey die pretty quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After they bite and inject venom, the, their prey usually dies pretty quickly, but if they do run away, then they just use their nose and tongue to find them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're fine tracking it basically. And so yeah. a rattlesnake too can strike as far as two thirds from its body length. So yeah. if it's going to be a six, six foot snake, it can strike up to four feet. Yeah. So it gives you a big. little bit of, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah definitely yeah. some reach for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing is like, if, if you're a human walking past in the woods, you're not on the radar as food. So yeah. they're not going to, they're not going to lunge four feet out at you. Uh, right. they're going to stay hidden away and, you know, 
hope that you don't bother them. And, yep. but yes, if you're a little bunny rabbit or a mouse, yeah, for, yeah. Do, yeah. Don't look out. <laughs> look out. <Yeah. laughs> look out. Now, the snakes, you always, you know, people wonder, you know, watch them eat. They swallow head first. That way, the arms and legs fold back on their prey. Their gastric juices are very powerful, digests everything, flesh, bone, pretty much everything. The, I read the optimal digestion for them, temperatures around 80 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit, 25 to 29 degrees Celsius, which would be so nice if it was there right now here. <laughs> um, <laughs> And they eat about every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they do have to drink. So like they'll submerge their head and open their jaws to suck in water. Or, oh, I used to love yeah. to watch snakes drink when I would take care of them. I just thought, yeah. I don't know. I, clearly I'm a weird behavior person. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I, But I'm like, oh, they're doing something because snakes don't really do much. Yeah. Um, however, that's a little bit of a misnomer because I love giving them enrichment. Because, yeah, you, if you put something new in their exhibit or their area, whether it's a log, a toilet paper roll, a, a ball, like we used to use boomer yeah. balls. Uh, they, and they come check it out. You know, they move, they, they would, it would really increase their activity. And yeah, they definitely have personalities. At least the snakes I worked with, I, I was always really, um, really enjoyed, uh, learning from them and realizing that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of animal going in there going on yeah. in there. There's a lot of personality. Uh, they have things they prefer, things they don't prefer. Um, some are more friendly than others. So, but yeah. And speaking of behavior, Chris, too, when I worked at the huh. zoo, a lot of times we would give them uh, little pools, some like to swim um, or soak. And the Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnake is a great swimmer. They don't mm-hmm. typically climb, um, They but they have been they have been spotted crossing stretches of water between the barrier islands and the mainland off of the Georgia coast and, and the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So great That's swimmers. Cool, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And now um, in regions where with really cold weather, the not really cold, but moderately cold weather, the diamondbacks will hibernate in um, gulf or tortoise or mammal burrows, stumps, mm-hmm. trees. And then on warmer winter days, they'll come out um, to bask in the sun. And just to keep in mind too, like Chris had already mentioned, with communication, if they are threatened, they will rattle their tail. And however, to the contrary belief, they don't always rattle their tail before striking. I mean, hopefully you yeah. hear the rattle and then you would know to like some, maybe, you know, maybe something, yeah, something's in that stump or whatever, but, yeah. uh, Per, you know, probably depending on if they're hunting, they maybe don't use the rattle. I'm not really sure right. about that behavior. Right. And the thing that I really want to touch on, and I know I think I brought this up in the Burmese Python. Um, you did, you did. But I'm gonna I, I'm gonna bring it up again because I think it's because we actually are talking about rattlesnakes today. There has been some work recently done on Arizona black rattlesnakes mm-hmm. by a woman named Melissa Amarello. And she's actually the founder of a group called Advocates for Snake Preservation, uh, which is an organization committed to improving human tolerance of snakes and to peacefully coexist with them. So a lot of what we've been talking about. And they can be found on Facebook. Check them out. They're out of New Mexico. Uh, she uses like science education to basically help get rid of these myths that snakes are bad and horrible and we should kill them. And they can be found at www.snakes.com dot ngo 
And mm-hmm. I, the reason I'm bringing her up and bringing this up again, because I did more research on it, her studies have demonstrated uh, using time-lapse cameras to document interactions of these Arizona black rattlesnakes. And she's found that, yes, some of them are loners, because typically snakes are solitary, except for during breeding season. But others can be really social, and some even prefer companies of a quote-unquote friend, for lack of better terms. Mm -hmm. And in her studies, she found that some snakes will spend a good amount of time together, up to maybe even 50% or 57% of the time. And that also rattlesnake members of families can maintain close ties. Mm -hmm. In her work, she observed uh, maybe many of the babies that would end up in the same den of the mothers that it came from, even though it like the fouling season. So it would come back. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so the other thing that Melissa and her group found that's really, really, I just want to highlight today, very near and dear to my heart, is that black rattlesnakes, Arizona black rattlesnakes are super moms. And so first and foremost, it's super cool, Chris. I, I think we touched on this last time, but rattlesnakes, mm-hmm. so including the Eastern Diamondback and this black rattlesnake that I'm talking back about, they are ovoviviparous, so they don't lay mm-hmm. eggs. They give right. live birth. And this is, this is crazy. Mo- yeah, yeah, it's so cool, right? Yeah. So this is a mode yeah. of reproduction in animals, which embryos develop inside the eggs inside the mom's body until they're ready to hatch. And they don't have a placental connection with the mother, but they receive mm-hmm. their nourishment from a yolk sac. Mm-hmm. So the females do that. So they're just like, you know, just like me, kind of for the most part, they give live yeah. birth and they're super moms. By the, by the time they give birth, the poor mama rattlesnake, hasn't eaten in weeks or even months. And then she basically, after she gives birth, which I know Ashley and I can vouch for this is all she want to do is eat a cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> after you yeah. give birth, after she gives birth, she doesn't eat for another couple weeks to give attention to her newborns. And she is this dedicated super mom for up to three weeks yeah. taking care of these little, these little kids. I don't know what baby rattlesnakes are called, but she has to protect them from Extreme temperatures from predators from wandering off like kids mm-hmm. do. And so Melissa and her group has these videos that we'll put on, on our show notes, but it's time lapse video and you can see a typical day of a rattlesnake of a new rattlesnake family and they highlight this black snake. Uh, her name is cat mama and she is just awesome. You watch the video and she's, she's literally hurting her little rattlesnakes to like not leave the den. Like they kind of leave and then she comes back and she says, Oh no, junior get back in here. Yeah. Come back. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And the other behavior yeah. that's been documented is they will lay on their mom, which you know, as a parent, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. my kids are like always on top of me. And so now researchers, a lot of this research is just evolving and, and they don't know why they do it. Maybe to get heat from the mom. Mm-hmm. They're not sure, but regardless, super mom. And like you said, with these, the rattlesnakes are the most evolved pit vipers. I think Mm -hmm. you were speaking more physiologically, but I think from a behavioral point of view or social or an intelligent point of view, we're just starting to begin to understand and, and highlight some of 
some of the neat stuff that they do. And they don't, right. they don't move fast and furious and they're probably not as fun to watch as a, a ferret yeah. or, oh yeah, my it's... goodness, otters, right? Like they're not, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. They're not going to be that fun to watch, but with her time lapse videos, she could really see these behaviors and, and, and in repetition right. to prove that, that the moms really play an active role. And I just, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So for me, that, that's kind of my repro and behavior in a nutshell is that, I mean, they're just, yeah, there's so they, much we don't do. know about them. And I think it's makes, it makes them a lot more re- relatable for me yeah. personally. Yeah. And just to close the behavior section too, I, um, here is a quick little clip of what a rattle sounds like. So if you see one, don't panic. Just know to look with your eyes before you put your hands anywhere. Yeah. And back away. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's the warning sound. So you want to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, so with conservation, this particular rattlesnake is least concerned, but the population is decreasing. Sure. So in the Eastern Diamondback, they estimate there's about a hundred thousand, but thousands are killed each year for their skins or these these dumb rattlesnake roundups, which David and I talk a little bit about on Thursday. You know, just he's actually doing some work in education and trying to end these. And turn it into like more of a conservation education event, but going out and just killing all these snakes is, is not, it's just dumb. It's dumb. It's It's dumb. Not cool. No, it's not cool. It's horrible. Now it's part of the reason where it's part of the reason where I'm from up North Michigan, Illinois area, mm -hmm. the, um, the Eastern Massasauga rattlesnake is now currently threatened. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know if there was roundups there, but I know that people would just, always kill them for their hides and and now you barely find right. any yeah yeah so yeah a lot of oh man just a lot of stuff with with them and you know habitat loss has caused a decrease in in the eastern diamondback about 10 percent loss in the last three generations so you know they're facing a lot of pressure the good news is like we said in every episode there are people out there doing conservation work right and you know, you Mm-hmm. And the first uh, group that I want to highlight today is actually local out of Gainesville, and it's called the Rattlesnake Conservancy. And their mission is to advocate for the protection of rattlesnakes in their habitat through research and education. And they can be found at www.savethebuzztails.org and, of course, on Facebook as well. And we'll put links on the show notes. Uh, but this group is awesome. They go across the country, um, and it's definitely local here, locally here in Florida. I see them at a lot of, um, family yeah. events and of course, uh, outdoor events, trying to educate people and solve problems of basically the rattlesnake and or human pet conflict. So they do all these outreach programs, educate people about snakes and their ecosystem values to humans and, and what happens if you do bump into a rattlesnake, what you should do. So lots of boots on the ground. I love that I see them out interacting, um, interacting with kids like Xander's age and on their website, save the org, You can find lots of articles about, uh, the, uh, the rattle. You can find a lot of articles about rattlesnakes. And of course, like Chris mentioned about the cons and the rattlesnake roundups and 
why we need to educate more people on how that's not a good mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. And then they also will help re- relocate snakes in your area. And they uh, train you how to do it humanely and who you can contact. And they do venomous handling training for field technicians. Tons of resources on their websites if you're in, um, if you're a herper or just in general have interest about careers. And of course, they have rattlesnake adoptions and fun events, which locally is great right. for me because uh, they have things like get buzzed for yeah, rattlesnake yeah. conservation, yeah. which is you know. A uh, tired mom needs that yes. once in a while. Good, a good fun, yes. <laughs> a good fun yes, night yes. out. So, yeah, check out the Rattlesnake on Conservancy. These guys are doing great work, and they have a lot of information on their webpage, and it should help you out yep. too. And then, secondly, I want to highlight a group called Center for Snake Conservation, and they can be found at www.snakeconservation.org, and they also have a good presence on Facebook. Now, the Center for Snake Conservation is to also pro- promote conservation of snakes in their natural ecosystems and, and to implement positive change in human attitudes towards snakes. They have a really multidimensional approach. Of course, they use education to change people's minds. Snakes aren't bad. And they support science and, and conservation programs to act, to drive action. And they work very, they work locally and across the globe in their main conservation strategies that they employ are habitat protection, which is key education. They get their local community involved and then they do citizen science for snake. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so this might be a group if maybe you're like not into rattlesnakes Mm -hmm. or something, if you're ready, if you're just more into constrictor snakes, this would be a good group to check out to see um, how you could partake in snake counts and maybe looking into, you know, just your, and identifying snakes that are in your local area and helping us learn more about populations and their mm-hmm, numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I remember, you know, we had a, that rat snake that was uh, hanging around our chicken coop eating some chicken eggs. You know, I could have went in there and said, hey, we have a rat snake in our backyard, you know, and we just left them, exactly. left them alone and, you know, they did their thing and, you know, it was, it was great. Now, before I get to how many people each year die to snakes, a conservation tip. I think the first obvious is don't buy any snakeskin items, snakeskin boots, wallets, anything like that. Just don't support this trade. Yeah, not yeah cool. like exactly. Yeah, don't support them. It's it's you know again we got to choke off the uh, the demand and the supply will go away and people won't go out and kill these animals for their skins. They're beautiful animals. Enjoy them. You know at, at a conservation center or people like Corbin Maxey who has you know animals that that he takes care of. You know, Derek, our friend from Gainesville, who does a lot of snake education, you know, go to those events and look at these animals and enjoy them that way rather than paying for something like this. Now, one thing that, you know, I always like to, I'm trying to promote this carbon neutral life. This was something easy. I read this and I was like, oh, okay. That if you have a loose gas cap or a missing gas cap, you can lose about 80 gallons of gas lost per year. So wow. one thing we can all do is check your gas caps, make sure they're tight. You know, if you don't have one, get one, replace it, please. But <laughs> due to evaporation, you know, if those things aren't tight, you lose gas, you know, and again, that's one of the, the number one drivers of carbon emissions is fuel, right? And you're, and people are probably like, who loses their gas caps? <laughs> Angie. This lady, this lady. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. This lady lost her gas. Yes. Replace it immediately, Angie. And I thought I, and it was so ridiculous where I thought I had a car problem. Yeah. And I took it to the mechanic and he's like, well, we could start by getting you a gas cap. Like that would be. (laughs) (laughs) Fix it. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mom, mom yes, brain. What can yeah. I say? What, yeah, I what say? happened before you had kids, though? This was normal behavior for you. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I, 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 I just, I. Kids are a great excuse yes. for me. Yes. Uh, but no, no. no I've always kidding. been class klutz, uh, class clown. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, love yeah. you. It's, it's been going on for a while. Yeah. And and true confession, I think I've at least on two occasions I've driven away from the gas the gas um, station with. It's still Oh, attached. I've done that. Like, I think, oh, I did it one time, like a few oh. years ago. Freaks you Oh, good. Out. Okay. Oh, uh, free. It's the worst. Okay. Yeah. Like, I did it once. Too. Oh, good. Well, I, I would like to know how many other listeners have done that so I don't feel as bad, but I, it has happened to me twice. In the last so, And I week? think it was before kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we have yeah. a, we have a Prius, yeah, so we don't go through yeah, gas know, that I much. Know. So getting to how many people are, are bit by snakes in the U.S. So your chance of dying from a snake bite in the United States and probably most Western countries or Westernized or developed countries is 0%. It's almost 0%. And that's because we have excellent care, right? You get, you get bit by a snake, get an ambulance or call the health professionals right away. And you're they. I really want to highlight yeah. that. I mean, you just said 0%. Yes. Like think about that for yeah. a second before As, you yeah, it's kill a cute little venomous coral snake. Yeah, so one in fifty million people in the U.S. will die each year to a snake bite. Five to six people per year die. Now, most snake bites are because people are messing with them, handling them sure. wrong. You know, they're 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 messing around with the snakes. You know, I'm sure there's the the really rare current. Somebody's out in the middle of nowhere, gets bit, and can't find help. You know, that's ultra mm-hmm. ultra rare. Now. In the United States, one in 37,000 people have a chance of being bit by venomous snakes. There's about seven to 8,000 snake bites per year. Okay. So it doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. like ultra rare to get bit, but most of those are people messing with snakes. That's not all venomous snakes. That's just reported snake bites. So if I messed with that rat snake in my backyard, it probably would have bit me. And then I could go, Oh, I got bit by a snake and I'd be added to that statistic. Okay. Gotcha. So it doesn't, the statistic doesn't. Isolate no, venomous. venomous now, yeah, but again, five to six people. That's it. So I looked into this. I was like, okay, well, what are some of the other things? In the United States, sharks, one person dies per year being attacked by a shark. Alligator, one per year. Bears, like, you know, I have a healthy respect for bears, one per year. <laughs> now it gets fun. Spiders, <laughs> how many people die from spider bites? Seven. Seven people per year. Ah. It's probably, you know, some of this is a, is a, is allergic, but now here you go, Angie. Cows. We just talked about cows with Cape Buffalo, your cute little fuzzy things. How many people die per year because of cows? Definitely more than shark. I know more than shark yes. bites. 20. For sure. 20 yeah. people a year in the United States are killed by cows. Dogs, 28 people per year. Yeah. Bees, wasp, hornets, 58 people per year. Wow, that's probably more obviously allergies, right? Yeah, yeah. But so when we talk about snakes and how scared we are of them and all this other stuff, five to six versus bees and wasps and stuff with 58. Actually, we'd love that. Now, (laughs) some other things. 
Last year, over 37,000 people in the United States died in card crashes. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Heart disease, the number one killer in the United States, killed over 600,000 people. Okay. So why are we killing snakes? Why are we demonizing snakes? We should be demonizing, like you said, a hamburger, cheeseburger. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that kills after more you people. give birth, you are allowed <laughs> yeah. to have a cheeseburger. Yes. All right. But no, no, you should not eat a cheeseburger every day. A hundred thousand times more likely to die by eating cheeseburgers than you are <laughs> from a snake. So they are. They deserve our respect. They deserve our love and our conservation efforts. So hopefully, Absolutely. you know, the listeners got something out of that. Yeah. And if you podcast, are a snake yeah. fan and you made it this far, I mean, definitely, you know, check out the Rattlesnake Conservancy or yeah. the um, Center for Snake Conservation and just see what these people are doing. Uh, and, and, or go to your local zoo yeah. and maybe start reading about them. And a lot of, a lot of the zoos will have education hour where they'll bring out a corn snake or a very easygoing, yeah. tiny little, you know, non-venomous snake and yeah. where you can touch it and look at it. And yeah. I think you'll hopefully fall in love the way I did because I, I didn't really, I can't really say I obviously I wasn't a natural herper. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I started working with herps, snakes, turtles, mm-hmm. uh, iguanas, uh, other lizards, beard dragons. That I, I really started jonesing for the reptiles and, and all their amazing subtleties. Right. So oh, they're amazing. So yeah. yeah. So learn more and, and watch some of these videos with the mama, with the, um, cat mama rattlesnake and see yeah. if you can, um, at least maybe not fall in love, but ha- have a new appreciation for them. Yeah. And just for us, you know, send in those questions, you know, and send this podcast. The Angie's stuffing the thing up her nose again. <laughs> Thanks, Angie. We got to wrap, wrap this ship up, Chris. My nose is I draining. <laughs> I know. We uh, send this podcast to a friend. Ask them to listen. I'm sending it to my mother-in-law because she loves snakes. She hates snakes. She's like scared to death of snakes. So I'm going to send this. And well, you know, this is a good it. test. Let's have her listen to it and see if she... She's still going to hate snakes. I know her. <laughs> she's a Texan, man. She, she's there. I know where my wife gets her stubbornness, man. Texans, you know, I gotta love them. I love Texas. All right. Well, I know you're heading off to Michigan here in a couple days. Have a safe trip. We will uh, be back next week. Uh, yes. Thank segments. you. And I can, I can only hope stuff. to be so lucky to see an Eastern Massasaga. Yeah. 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 Look out for the snakes in that blueberry farm. Yes, so, you always do. You, you use your you use your eyes first, and 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 then yeah, your hands. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll we'll have a good trip, and we'll be in touch. Thank you, Chris. Have a great night. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah. See you next week. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.